You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 1 to 10, and we're going to be talking about the fact that you'll regret settling for a cheap substitute. But before we take a look at this portion of Scripture, just a couple quick things I wanted to share with you. I want to start off just by thanking those of you who have taken the time to read or review the Desire Jesus one-year devotional. I've been mentioning it during the course of the past few weeks. It's available right now if you go to our website, desirejesus.com, and you can either purchase the Kindle edition or a paperback edition, and the links to do so are found in our bookstore. I also want to point out to you a couple other things on our website. If you're not yet signed up to receive the newsletter, I'd invite you to stop by the website and sign up for that. And basically what happens is usually once a week, I send out links to new articles when they're posted on our blog. And typically what I do is the content of each of these podcast recordings, I make sure to also have available in article form so that they could be read and shared online. And that's all contained in the blog section of our website, desirejesus.com. But if you want to be notified when a new blog post is posted on the site, sign up for our newsletter and you'll receive an email that has that information. We also let you know about any book promos that we're doing or any books that we're giving away during the course of that week, that'll also be included in upcoming newsletters. So we invite you again to stop by our website, desirejesus.com, and you can find all that information located right there. Now, as I mentioned just a moment ago, today we're looking at the book of Jeremiah again, and we're in chapter 10 today. We'll be looking at the first 10 verses and talking about this idea of the fact that we regret when we settle for a cheap substitute. So if you would take your Bibles and open up to Jeremiah chapter 1, this is what it states in that passage of Scripture. Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, Learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the peoples are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field, and they cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations, and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. They are both stupid and foolish. The instruction of idols is but wood. Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish, and gold from Uphaz. They are the work of the craftsmen, and of the hands of the goldsmith. Their clothing is violet and purple. They are all the work of skilled men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure His indignation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to look at it together today. 
And Lord, as we look at this portion of Scripture, we can see that you encourage us not to go in the direction of worshiping idols or placing other things in our heart that take a place of prominence that should belong to you. You show us in this portion of Scripture why we will regret settling for a cheap substitute. Because a cheap substitute, an idol, can't answer our prayers, and it has no power over us. So, Lord, help us to walk with you, help us to trust in you, help us to obey you in all matters and in all areas as followers of yours through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be able to look at your word together today, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Something that seems to entertain my children when it comes up in conversation is how many years I can get out of a pair of shoes. Uh, In fact, I have a pair of sneakers that I like to wear pretty regularly, and I think they still look reasonably new, even though I bought them several years ago. But that definitely wasn't the case when I was a kid. As a child, I would go through sneakers rather quickly. Uh, I was always outside doing something, and I played several sports that involved a high degree of running. So if a pair of sneakers lasted me a few months, that was considered good. Being one of three siblings, the rate at which I would burn through a pair of shoes during that season wasn't a minor expense for my parents. That actually mattered financially, and so that being the case, on occasion, we would opt for buying some knockoff brands from time to time. Unfortunately, even though it initially felt like we were saving money, those shoes didn't usually hold up very long. They were cheap substitutes, and I can still remember the way they would crack and tear after very little use. There are some areas where it just doesn't pay to settle for a cheap substitute. And the most obvious area would be our spiritual lives. There is no substitute for a relationship with the true and living God. No idol or humanly invented deity can comfort the heart and give lasting hope to the soul. And that's something that the Lord makes clear to Jeremiah in this passage of Scripture. And there's some counsel that we're given here that I want us to notice. And one of the things that this passage of Scripture encourages us not to do, it encourages us not to be allured by the spirit of the times. Look again at the first two verses. This is what they state. Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord. Learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. In every generation, there is what is often called the spirit of the times. There are ideas and beliefs that seem to take hold in the hearts of a large percentage of people. And if we looked at our culture at present, there are certainly some ideas that we could list that fit into that category. And many of these ideas are adorned with pleasant-sounding labels, but when we take a look beyond the surface, we begin to see what's really going on. Just a few days ago, I received something that reminded me of this. I received a notice from my son's school stating that a particular course was preparing to teach the children to practice mindfulness. Now, admittedly, being mindful sounds all well and good, but when you examine this concept through the light of Scripture, you quickly realize that the practice that's being spoken of as being mindful, it's not rooted in the teaching of God's Word, but in the beliefs of Buddhism. In fact, we were also informed that the teacher was organizing a weekend trip for the students to participate in a Buddhist worship service. 
I politely expressed my displeasure to the school because this is not something that I was comfortable with in any way. And as the saying goes, there is nothing new under the sun. During Jeremiah's time, the people of Judah and Israel were likewise being highly influenced by the false beliefs of their neighboring nations. Instead of developing a fidelity to the teaching of God's Word, they had started to become enamored with the ways and the beliefs of the other nations. We're even told in these verses that the people had started to become dismayed at the signs of the heavens, like their foreign neighbors were. The Babylonians in particular are known to have developed astrology and things like the use of horoscopes. And you can see that these pagan practices were having an impact on the people of Judah. Interestingly, they continue to have an impact on people today, even though this portion of Scripture was written 2,600-some years ago. But followers of Christ should be more discerning than that. At the moment we trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit took up residence within us. He marked us, he sealed us, and he continues to counsel us. He makes the Bible clear to us as we read it, and he helps us to see things as they really are so that we aren't taken captive by the spirit of the times or the deceptive philosophies that gain popularity during our generation. I like what the Scripture tells us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. It says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. As a matter of practice, exercise caution when you begin to see new beliefs gaining a foothold in our culture. Hold all things up to the light of Scripture. At present, our generation seems enamored with things like humanism and atheism and redefining marriage and redefining gender and adopting the practices of New Age spiritism and Eastern religions. These are things that are swirling around in the minds of many people. And please notice these things as they're taking place and resist their infiltration into your thinking or their infiltration into your household. I like what Chuck Colson happened to say years ago. He said, when the God of the Bible is rejected, people choose a new God. And James Emery White once said this, he said, apart from a Christian mind, we will either be taken captive by the myriad of worldviews contending for our attention, or we will fail to make the Christian voice heard and considered above the din. This scripture reminds us not to be allured by the spirit of the times. We're also encouraged in this portion from Jeremiah's book not to be afraid of something that has no power over us. Look at what it says in Jeremiah 10, verses 3 to 5. It says this, For the customs of the people are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field, and they cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. Now, many of you know that I live in the Philadelphia region, so right now at present, we're all excited that the Philadelphia Eagles are on their way to the Super Bowl. 
I know that as a lifelong Eagles fan, I'm certainly excited about it. But I'm guessing that even if you aren't from the Philadelphia region, you're probably familiar with the Rocky Balboa statue that's near the steps of the Art Museum. And apparently, the mayor of Philadelphia and the mayor of Brockton, Massachusetts, have agreed to a small wager since each of their teams will be playing against each other in the Super Bowl. In Brockton, there is a statue of undefeated boxer Rocky Marciano. If Philadelphia wins the Super Bowl, Brockton's statue will be clad in Eagles gear. So it's going to be all dressed up like it's a fan of the Philadelphia Eagles. If New England wins the Super Bowl, Philadelphia's Rocky statue will be dressed in Patriots attire. Now, I learned about this the other day while listening to sports radio, and I have to say, when I was listening to this, you could tell that the fate of these statues became a rather heated subject of debate among the show hosts because of the sentimental and emotional attachment that is connected with each of these statues. Interestingly, several years ago, I saw a video that involved another statue. It was a video of a religious service that involved four men carrying a large religious icon to the front of a building. And as they were at the front of the building and as they were adjusting their stances, they lost their balance and the ornate statue wobbled and fell to the ground and smashed. The thing smashed to pieces. And horrified by what they saw, some of the people screamed, and several actually began to cry. Now, how does something like a statue gain such a high level of importance to us? How does the work of a craftsman become an object of worship or an object of dread? In some respects, it comes down to our resistance toward the expression of genuine faith. We have a tendency that prefers to walk by sight, and a statue is something that we can see. If we come to the belief that it has some level of power over us, it's not hard to imagine it becoming an object of worship. The process of crafting and worshiping idols is described in this passage because it was common among the people of Judah. This passage tells us about trees being cut down, worked on by craftsmen, decorated with silver and gold, placed in a fixed position, then worshipped. But the Lord made it clear as he spoke through Jeremiah that such idols have no real power. A belief in their power is nothing but folly or superstition. We're told that they're like a scarecrow. They can't speak, they can't walk, they can't do evil or good. Worshipping the work of another man's hands is foolishness. Who then deserves our worship? Well, our worship should be directed to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Like a tree, Jesus was also cut down when he was crucified and nailed to the beams of a cross. But unlike a tree, he didn't remain dead when he was cut down. He rose from death. He lives and he offers the blessing of new life to anyone who will trust in him. Among Christ's disciples, one in particular struggled to believe that Jesus rose from death after being cut down and crucified. And it's told to us in the book of John, chapter 20, starting with verse 24. It says this, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, 
I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So Thomas struggled to believe that Jesus rose from death after being cut down and crucified, and yet after he saw the risen Christ, he believed in him and worshipped him as Lord and God. In Jesus, we find true power over life and death. We revere and worship him because he truly does have power over us. And this portion of Scripture from Jeremiah encourages us, don't be afraid of something that has no power over you. Rather, we revere, we worship Christ because he truly does have power over us. There's one other thing that's brought out in this portion of Jeremiah's book, and that's this, the fact that we're encouraged to give praise to God because his glory is beyond all comparison. Look at verses 6 to 10 in Jeremiah chapter 10. It says this, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. They are both stupid and foolish. The instruction of idols is but wood. Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish, and gold from Uphaz. They are the work of the craftsmen, and of the hands of the goldsmith. Their clothing is violet and purple. They are all the work of skilled men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure His indignation. When I was growing up, one of my favorite things to do was to walk through model homes. I actually saw a video that someone posted uh, just today about a model home, and I was kind of impressed with how it looked like on the inside. But when I was growing up, we moved 12 different times before I graduated high school, and some of the places we lived in weren't very nice. So I was frequently amazed, and I was frequently impressed with some of these buildings, some of these model homes. And I would stare at the architecture, and I would imagine what it would be like to live in a place as nice as some of these buildings. They were beyond comparison when I viewed them side by side with the kind of homes that I was used to. And when you look at this portion of Scripture, we see Jeremiah making a comparison as well. He compared the Lord with the lesser things that the people were choosing to worship. As Jeremiah dwelt on this dichotomy, he praised the Lord for his greatness. He acknowledged that there was no one like the Lord. The kings and the most prominent people on the earth didn't compare to the glory of the Lord. The idols fashioned out of wood and silver or gold didn't compare. The most regal-looking clothing colored with precious and expensive dyes didn't compare. The Lord alone is the true and living God. As our faith in the Lord matures over time, this is the kind of perspective he begins to foster within us as well. 
We begin to appreciate his greatness. We begin to recognize that all the things that our hearts have ever desired, whether it be earthly riches or personal prestige or relationships or anything that this world might offer us, pales in comparison to the greatness of our God. The Lord is worthy to be praised in the midst of our seasons of happiness. He is worthy to be praised in the midst of our seasons of sorrow and pain. When our hearts and minds are focused on giving him the praise he deserves, he helps lift us up out of the muck of being overly focused on ourselves and our momentary concerns. He helps us to see beyond the moment we may feel stuck in, and he reminds us of the joy we possess as men and women who have experienced redemption and restoration through faith in Jesus Christ. The book of Psalms, it's filled with praise toward God because of his greatness. When we look at some of the Psalms, particularly Psalm 34, verses 1 to 4, we see this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 103 verses 1 to 5 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. These scriptures are filled with praise toward God, and the truth is we can never run out of reasons to give praise to God. He alone is worthy of it. In your life and faith, don't settle for a cheap substitute for God. In Christ, we have been granted a living hope. We've been granted access to the throne of the Father. We've been granted joy that surpasses all earthly trials. This earth may offer us all kinds of alternatives to experiencing a vibrant relationship with the Lord, but these substitutions produce nothing but regret. Our hearts have been fashioned to only find satisfaction from the real thing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We're grateful for the, the privilege that we have to walk with you and to know you and to worship you and to give you praise. Lord, we pray that you remind us of a portion of Scripture like this the next time we're tempted to accept a cheap substitute for the real thing. When the things of this world start to take a place of prominence in our heart that really only belongs to you. Lord, remind us of the truth of your word. Help us to live it out. Help us to walk with you faithfully in all contexts. And we're grateful, Lord, for the love that you have shown us. We pray, Lord, that you would be honored in our life. We pray, Lord, that you would be honored in the words that come forth from our lips. And we pray, Lord, that as others observe us, that they would be able to see that we truly know you, that we truly love you, and that we truly walk with you as our Lord and Savior by faith. We thank you for all of these things. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.
Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we would encourage you to stop by our website, desirejesus.com. You can check out the Desire Jesus one-year devotional there. You could also check out our blog that has lots of good content from the past uh, group of months. It's almost a year's worth of content that we have posted there now. And you could also sign up for our newsletter. We'd encourage you to do that, and be sure to drop us a note as well. It's always nice to hear from those who enjoy the podcasts. In fact, we heard from several of you this past week, and that was nice to hear from you. So thanks for dropping us a note. It's always encouraging. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week, and we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. I'm Billy Yancey, entrepreneur, fitness cowboy, father, retired Navy cornerback, and now podcast host. Listen to my new show, Billy and the Goat, on Life Audio. Happy listening.